Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. How do truly original thinkers dream up their ideas? What really drives creativity? These are just some of the questions that the book I'm reading today asks. The title of the book that we are all sharing is The Art of Alien Thinking. Alien is an acronym, and that stands for Attention, Levitation, Imagination, Experimentation, and Navigation. So what kind of thinkers do all this, have this in their toolbox? We're about to find out with co-author of the book, Michael Wade, who is Professor of Innovation and Strategy at IMD Business School or the, the Institute of Management Development. And he joins us on the show, all about great books. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Read. Hi, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to meet you. So first up, what is an alien thinker and what really separates the alien thinker from the rest of us? <laughs> Well, we can all be alien thinkers, so there's, there's no separation. Uh, the, the idea behind the, the title, uh, Alien Thinker, because it's kind of a strange title, uh, is that if you're an alien, you imagine an alien, Michelle, coming down to our world and looking around, they see everything with fresh eyes. Uh, they don't have you know, the assumptions, the preconceived notions that we all carry around with us. And because of that, they're able to be a lot more creative and a lot more innovative. And I think that's something that many of us have lost along the way. Uh, we just look, look at our world and, and we don't really take it in anymore because it's something we've seen so many times before. So part of the book is, is to encourage us to think like an alien, as if we were an alien and seeing things for the first time, not for the thousandth and first time. And literally this bias of, you know, seeing what we're used to seeing, is, is there, are there psychological barriers to being an alien thinker? Sure. I mean, there's lots and lots of biases that we have that condition us to think the same way and do the same things in the same way all the time. You know, there's something we bring up in the book, in the book. you know, the term uh, deja vu we've all heard of, and it kind of means... You know, when you, uh, you, you see something, you have this feeling you, you've seen it before. Uh, but the, if you think about the opposite of that, the opposite of deja vu is seeing something you see every day, but you see it as if it was something new. And that could be the spark of creativity that is, you know, the start of a, a really, really good idea. Love this. I wonder if you can give, share with us some examples. Your book is filled with great stories, uh, incredible storytelling. Can you share some examples of alien thinkers? Yeah, so, so there's the, the famous ones we've all heard of, like, you know, James Dyson coming up with a backless vacuum cleaner. I might come back to that a little bit later. Uh, Elon Musk and all these, you know, Steve Jobs, all these kind of luminaries. But the point of the book is that it's not just people like that who can be alien thinkers. It actually could be all of us. And, and, the, and most of the examples we use in the book are kind of everyday people who have done extraordinary things. So, so one of the examples in, in, in the book is a, is a doctor, kind of an infectious disease specialist, who had the opportunity to go down to West Africa and help out uh, in, the, in one of the, the breakouts of Ebola. Uh, in, in the countries down there. He didn't know anything about the Ebola virus, but that actually helped 
because you didn't have all the preconceived notions about how you treat this terrible, terrible, deadly disease. And when he went down there, you know, the death rate was, you know, 70, 80 percent. I mean, it was a death sentence. And because of that, the local population, they didn't want their their loved ones to be treated because they almost always died. Uh, so he came in with without all the, you know, the playbook about how you're supposed to manage this condition. And he broke a lot of the rules because he saw things differently. And, you know, and he brought and, and by the time he left, the uh, the death rate, it was down below 50 percent. Uh, and now because of that, you know, the, the World Health Organization uh, and Doctors Without Borders have, have rewritten their codes of conduct around how to deal with the disease. So there's. You know, there's lots of benefits to coming in as an outsider. But the challenge for most of us, Michelle, is that we're not outsiders. So we have to think as if we were outsiders. And this is really the A of the alien thinking framework, which is attention. So paying attention to our world in, in, in different ways. So just on that point of attention, I wonder if in a hyper-connected world where there's so much distraction, it's even harder for that, for us to embody that A, attention. It's easier and harder. It's very, it's very easy for us to get distracted, which makes it harder to pay attention. That is true. But on the other hand, you know, in the past, if you wanted to pay attention to something, if you wanted to really zoom in and study something, it would take a lot of time and energy to do that. You know, famous scientists, like anthropologists, you know, uh, uh, Margaret Mead going to Papua New Guinea to study the tribes. I mean, she was there for seven years yeah. doing that. But these days, if you want to know what a, you know, a tribe, the, the, the kind of the today's version of a tribe, you know, a small community is doing and thinking, just go to Reddit, just go to Facebook, <laughs> just go to Twitter, you know, and, and you can find these communities and you can understand and learn about what they're doing. You can get inspiration from them without leaving your your home office so yet digital technologies you know make some things more difficult uh but they also give you an immense ability to capture new insights like you never could in the past all right so we need to see things with fresh eyes and on that second word in the acronym levitation does that mean we need to take a different perspective because there's so much data coming at us what is the point of view that best serves creative thinkers well, it goes back to something you said earlier, Michelle, you know, the, the battle for our attention is so intense that we don't give ourselves time to reflect. You know, we used to have this, you know, before the digital age, we used to have this time, you know, it, something would happen, it would take time for us to reach us. And then once it reached us, then we'd have time to figure out, you know, what it means before we had to react. That, that's just gone. So we hear things all the time and then we're expected to, to react immediately. So even if we're good at paying attention, we're seeing the world, you know, we're understanding the things that are going on, we're zooming in, we're zooming out. Uh, we're so busy that it's difficult for us to kind of, you know, process those, the, those insights. So levitation is really, really important. So levitation is about taking timeouts. So just, you know, going for a walk or taking time to reflect uh, uh, or taking time off. You know, taking a week or more to kind of synthesize your thoughts in your head. The science is pretty clear on this, Michelle, that the, the resting brain, the quote, resting brain is actually more active than, than the brain, which is, you know, focused on a particular challenging task. You know, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. Our brains are amazing. And when we're not 
you know, specifically focused on something, we're going for a walk, we're having a shower, we're just watching some junk on TV, our mind's processing things. And, and that's really, really valuable in the creative process and the innovation process. So I'm sure you've studied so many um, thinkers. In your opinion, what, what, are, what are the things that some thinkers are doing that transcend conventional problem solving? Well, they, they keep their minds open for a lot longer than the rest of us. Uh, you know, what, what we tend to do is, is you know, we, we lock in, we have an idea or a thought, and, and then we kind of zero in on it, we lock in on it, and, and, that's, and then it's just a matter of, you know, tinkering with it. The really creative thinkers keep their minds open for a lot longer than that so that, you know, they're leveraging surprises. They're, they're jumping from one thing to another. So that the final solution is a long way from the original idea. They don't kind of get that tunnel vision so quickly down the path. And that's, that's I think, one of the issues with the way innovation is done today in many organizations. Mm-hmm. There may be a creative spark at the beginning, but very quickly it converges into something quite specific. And it, once that happens, it's extremely difficult to change. Are there certain types of organizational cultures that either can support this method of creative thinking that you're talking about or kill it? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. You know, the, uh, the corporate immune system is a very, very efficient innovation killer, right? It's like the vaccines of our age, right? It kills the virus. And, and, and that's not a good thing in this case. Right. There's um, a lot of companies pursue the policy of hiring for cultural fit. And it makes sense. You want people who fit the culture right, of your organization, except there's a real dark side to that. Because if you hire people for cultural fit, you end up with a monoculture. And once you have a monoculture, it's extremely difficult to be very creative and think out, out of the box and be innovative. So sometimes it makes sense to, to hire people who don't fit your culture because they're the ones that are going to bring in these new ideas and these kind of disruptive insights. The problem is that in many cases, companies will hire those people, but then the corporate you know, immune system will reject them. Absolutely. So they leave. So they leave. So, so it's not just about hiring those people. It's about setting up the culture internally to, to encourage them to stay. Do you think organizations can do more in terms of facilitating alien thinking? Yes. Yes, they can. Absolutely, they can. You know, they can, um, uh, maybe the extreme example of giving people time and space to think and be creative is Google with 20% time, right? one day a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it doesn't have to be one day a week, but just giving, you know, giving people time and space to think and reflect is really, really useful. You know, encouraging risk-taking and tolerating failure is a really, really important uh, aspect of, of innovative cultures. I think allowing people to experiment a lot more, giving them resources to experiment, not just to prove something you've already decided, but to improve something, I think is really important. And then I think we get to the N, which is one of the more, I think they're all important, but this one is really, really critical, the navigation part. Okay. I don't know how many um, great ideas, you know, have been really um, a lot of potential looking great in a pilot. And then they kind of start to get scaled up in the organization and they hit that wall of the organizational culture. Right. So navigation, allowing people to 
you know, go into submarine mode for a while. So they're protected from the organizational uh, uh, culture that may kill that idea, you know, supporting people, helping people. Uh, who have good ideas, translate those into breakthrough solutions. There's a lot of things that organizations can do to facilitate people being a lot more creative and innovative. Do you think with more of us working from home and that expected to be the hybrid uh, model, you know, some of us going back to the office some of the time, but a lot of the time spent at home working, is that going to help creative thinking? Uh, it depends. It depends completely. Again, this is going back to the organizational culture. If working from home means doing exactly the same thing you're doing in the office, but now you're doing it in a home office, then there's very little going to change, mm. quite honestly, very little going to change. But organizations that are seeing working from home as an opportunity, not just to do the same things in a different location, but actually to do different things or to do the same things in very different ways. That's actually, you know, working from home is a really good leverage point. It's a trigger for doing things differently. You know, and I think the pandemic itself is, is a massive trigger to do this. It's, you know, a shock. And whenever there's a shock in a system, things are kind of put out of balance for a while. And that's a great opportunity to question assumptions, to do things differently. Some organizations are doing that. Many, unfortunately, are not. So I think it's really an a, a, a organizational question about how, they're, how you're going to manage working from home. Let, let me give you another example, Michelle, that may, maybe your viewers and your listeners are, are you know, could relate to. But, um, yeah, in Singapore at the moment, uh, are restaurants open or closed? Most of them are open, but we have a limitation of eight people at a table. Right. Okay. So when you go to a, a, a restaurant in, in Singapore, do you get a menu, a paper menu? No, it's all iPads now. We help ourselves. Right. So, so you get an iPad and you can order, right? Or you have a QR code and you use your phone, right? And then you get yep. the... Yeah. So this is the same in many parts of the world. And, you know, you can see that some restaurants are just basically taking a, a, a pure substitution approach. So instead of getting the, the actual physical menu, the piece of paper, you know, you have an iPad or you use your phone with a QR code and you get exactly the same thing, but on a digital device, right? So just it's PDF in the menu or something, you know, basically just a website. Some restaurants are seeing this as an opportunity, a leverage point, a trigger to think differently. So it's not just the menu anymore. Now you can order from the device. Now you can get reviews of the dishes. Now you can get suggestions about what you might like. Now you can see pictures and videos. Maybe you can see your 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 just getting getting made. Um, so there's all kinds of opportunities to provide different levels of service and engagement. And yet, most restaurants just do the very very basic. Well, I actually miss service. You know. Because we have to do everything ourselves, order, pay even with the devices. So I think, uh, yeah, a lot of restaurants. I support. love that. I love that. <laughs> I hate I hate waiting. You no, know, if I go to a what? fancy restaurant, that's one thing. But I don't like to wait for the waiter to come over, take my, and, I, and I'm ready to order now. And I have to get the person oh. to come over and then I'm ready to pay and leave and they're not there. Oh, then you and, love Singapore. It's self-service culture, Michael. That's right. That's yeah, right. I like that's the right. physical you guys are interaction. Way yeah, well, you know, that's another thing about the pandemic, right? We are missing that physical interaction a little bit. Absolutely. Okay, so, Michael, are you optimistic that uh, anybody picking up this book will be able to challenge themselves and possibly pick up some skills that will widen their creative toolbox as a thinker? Well, that's why we wrote 
to do that. So, so the book is full of, you know, examples of people who have done interesting things and how they did it. You know, we have toolkits in there. We have uh, suggested strategies. We have shortcuts. You know, there's all kinds of we try to put it, make the book as kind of practical and applicable and non-theoretical as we possibly could. So I, I, I sincerely hope so, Michelle. It is extremely readable. And um, this has been a fascinating conversation. So, Michael, thank you for joining us. It's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. The book is titled The Art of Alien Thinking, How to Bring Your Breakthrough Ideas to Life. And you just heard one of the co-authors, Michael Wade. This has been Read. I'm Michelle Martin. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.